Well, good morning. Uh, we'll begin uh, this morning with our Sunday school lesson. Um, we're going to be looking in the book of Genesis, chapter 29. We'll be reading verses 15 to 35. Uh, last week I said we would be looking at uh, some different folks for the next few weeks in the Old Testament. And we are beginning uh, with Jacob, Rachel, and Leah today. And we're going to look at them briefly. And the lesson uh, is entitled, The Heart's Search for Significance. And I'm basing this uh, loosely on a couple different uh, sermons and lessons that I've looked at and read and listened to. Um, So some of this is certainly borrowed content. Um, As we look at God's Word today, I hope that this is an encouragement to you um, as we think about the Lord working in our own life. So before we read uh, Genesis 29, verses 15 to 35, um, I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you for this morning to be able to be in your house, to be with your people, to open your word that you have given to us, the inerrant, true, infallible word that you have given to guide our lives, that we would know you and know how to obey you and glorify you. Lord, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you for this day to be able to sing praises and to worship you. And we pray, Lord, as we have our Bibles open now, that you would uh, speak to us, that you would teach us your word, that we would um, know how better to obey you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 29, beginning in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what you your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. 
And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So this morning's lesson is entitled The Heart's Search for Significance. In this story, uh, there are several very strong themes. Love and anger, hope and deception, disillusionment and praise. And as we look at the life of Jacob and Rachel and Leah, um, I think we see some themes even for ourselves and maybe some things that we search after ourselves, the ways that our heart is searching uh, for significance. And for many of us, even in the church and in our society today, we would say that there are many things that we seek after with our hearts. We seek love. uh, We seek for fulfillment. We want Whatever it is that we are seeking after, this one thing, whether it's a person or a marriage, a relationship, or some possession, or something that we have set our hearts on, that this will be the thing. This will be what gives me satisfaction. This will be what will make me feel fulfilled in life. I'll be happy. I'll be whole. The things about me that are broken will be fixed. Really, what we're aching for in our search for things is redemption. We want somehow some deliverance of some kind. Uh, that we wouldn't feel the weight of who we are weighing down our, ourselves, weighing down our hearts. That we would somehow be able to have that lifted off of us and our shoulders not bear the weight of it day in and day out. But isn't it interesting that every time we seek after something and, and want to grasp it and hold it, that that very thing is the thing that we end up being disappointed in? Is that true? When you make one thing the only thing, that thing becomes what you become disappointed in. It's not able to bear up under it. So then what do we do next? Go find something else. Find a different hobby horse to get on. Uh, Something else to seek after, to conquer, to find, uh, to possess. And we see that here in this passage. And we have to learn a little bit about the history of this family, um, the significance of Jacob being where he was uh, in the land where his Uh, mother's brother lives his mother Rebecca his uh, mother's brother Laban his uncle Laban Uh, but I want to read to you a couple verses from Genesis 28 um, verses 13 to 15 Uh, because Jacob um, was a deceiver he that is what he did he deceived his dad stole the birthright of his brother Esau and it was part of his mother's plan scheme that he would get this and so you remember he he was not a, a hairy man, but he, he put on animal skin and went in and deceived his dad who didn't have good eyesight. He went in while it was dark to his dad's eyes and uh, told him he was Esau and said, I'm ready for my birthright. And so he blessed him. I, his dad did. He gave him the blessing of the firstborn, but it was given to Jacob, the deceiver, not to Esau, the firstborn. And so uh, in Genesis 27 and 28, Esau is angry. He is only able to really nurse his own heart with thoughts of killing his brother. Once my dad is gone, as he's gotten older, what I will do when dad is gone is kill my brother, my younger brother, because he stole from me. And he was bitter in his heart towards towards his brother Jacob. So mom finds out, Rebecca finds out, and she can't have it. Somehow it got to her that this is what Esau's plan was. So he decides, um, or she decides... I need to take care of this. She goes and tells Jacob, this is what's happening. This is not going to work out. I want you to leave. And so she goes and tells her husband, her ailing husband, 
that she doesn't want Jacob to marry of the women who are in the land that they're living in. And that was her reason for why. Can you please send our youngest son away? So Isaac calls in the younger son, says you need to go somewhere else. Don't marry of the women here. You need to leave. Go to the land of your mother's brother, Laban. And so he does. He does leave. And as Jacob is out in in the land, um, do you remember the vision that he had? The heavens opened and it was like there was a ladder and the, the, the sons of God ascending and descending and God was there at the top of the ladder and he awoke and he said, I didn't know it, but God, this is the land that God is in and it was sacred to him. I want to read Genesis 28, 13 to 15. This is God working in, in his life. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So this is a wonderful covenant promise of God. He is working in Jacob's life. Clearly, this is God speaking to him. And Jacob was amazed when he heard it. And it says later that he woke up. Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. And he made a vow to God, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way, that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So he goes into the land that he's supposed to go to. And as he's there at the well, he finds the well, and he meets this beautiful young woman. And the writer of Genesis tells us that she was beautiful, both her, her form and her looks. So everything about her was attractive to Jacob, and he was attracted to her, and he wanted her for his wife. So he meets his uncle Laban, and he says, well, I, I want to work for you, and I want your youngest daughter, Rachel. And Laban has, as we can tell from the story, Laban has other ideas. But you need to remember some things, some more things about Jacob. I think it would be helpful to know. He's leaving home, and the reason, or at least the reason that Rebecca gave to her husband that he's leaving is to go find a wife, to go find true love, to find a family and a new place to live away from his sins. Because he had sinned against his family. He made things difficult for his mom. He turned his own brother against him. And his dad gave him the blessing that belonged to his brother. So after he finds the well, he sees beautiful Rachel. He waters her sheep and he falls in love with her. And as he goes to Laban, he says what his price will be. I'll work for you. I'll earn it. I'll try hard, but I want Rachel. After seven years of service, I want Rachel. I want her to be my wife. And we see Laban with his own plans. And I want to talk about Leah for a little bit. Um, This older daughter. um, And it's interesting how Laban and um, Jacob talk about this. Because after he had done his seven years, seems like he was a faithful enough man, he worked. He went to Laban and he said, okay, I did my work. 
I did all that you asked me to. I've earned it. I want my wife. Give me my wife. I'm ready. I want to be married. I don't want to wait any longer. And so Laban throws a big feast. He gets everyone together. And at night, when it's dark, you can't see one in front of the other. He sends who? Leah. And in a moment of significant deception, he deceives Jacob. And Jacob gets upset. Why did you deceive me? Why, why would you do this? And what does, what does Laban say? And it, did, it does stop Jacob in his tracks. Well, around here, we don't put the younger before the older. And he doesn't say anything else. He doesn't have any answer. He says, and so Laban says, well, just work for me another seven years and I'll give you Rachel also. And it's interesting. You can imagine that Jacob might have gone to Leah and said, well, you came in there. You knew who you were. You knew who I was. You know what this whole party was for. Why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? When I reached for you, why didn't you say I'm Leah? And she could have, and this is conjecture um, and not my own. It's from uh, another writer, but he said, well, couldn't Leah have answered, well, why didn't you tell your dad the truth when he reached for you? It's like his own life and the consequences of his own choices are coming back on him and testifying against himself. You are a deceiver. You're, that is what your name means. And, and you did deceive. Your dad asked and you didn't tell the truth. So here it is in front of him. But So we see Jacob looking for love. He's wanting to find his true love. Um, he, he works for love. He does everything that he can. It seems like he is trying to find life again after deceiving his family and making a wreck of his life. He has to leave home. Um, that's how bad it is. And in their day, to leave home and land and family, significant. We've been seeing that in the book of Ruth. So he, here he is in another land, and he has these two wives. And this wife, Leah, this woman, Leah, she's the oldest. We don't know what was wrong with her, but apparently... It has to do with how her eyes looked. Maybe she was cross-eyed or she had a lazy eye, but there was something about her that looked different. It, she wasn't as uh, she was not beautiful the way that Rachel was. Everything about Rachel was beauty and attraction for Jacob, but Leah was not apparently. And we see she was not as likely to have been the one to get married. And so Laban sees an opportunity and he takes it. He's desperate to get rid of this daughter, and if I don't, she's going to be here forever. It seems like she wasn't wanted by. Her dad or by Jacob. Because it says, you see it in, in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. This was after. This was after everything that had taken place. And Jacob is spending time with her in his home. She's not wanted by her dad or by her husband. And it seems, at least from what I can pick up here in uh, chapter 29, verse 31, she wasn't loved by her dad, her husband, or her sister. There apparently was some conflict, uh, probably for all of her life. She's been living in the shadows of her younger sister her whole life. She's the one that's more beautiful. She's the one that has better prospects for the family. Everything about her says success and goodness, but here's Leah looking at herself. I don't have those things. I Maybe she was just a bit more homely. I don't know. But it's clear that there was a significant difference for her. This was God's chosen path for her, though. This was her life. This was not a, a curse. This was the life that God had given her. Look at her identity. She is God's chosen vessel. And we'll see how significant later on it is. But she's God's chosen vessel here. 
She is Jacob's wife. She does have children. It says in verse 31 that when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, that he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Another reminder that it is God who gives children. It is not the just the, the natural occurrence of a biological process. God is the one who gives children. He gives them and he takes them away. Her identity is that she is Rachel's sister. She is reminded of that every day because they're living in the same home still with the same husband. And yet we see, even though she is the mother of children and Rachel is not, what she wants, it's like it's been this way her whole life. What she wants is the love of the man that her sister is in his arms. She wants his love. And she's giving children and taking care of them and taking care of babies and everything else. But here's Jacob and he loves Rachel. And he has her. And everything that she wants, she thought she would have love and security at home. She didn't. Dad and sister don't prefer her. She thought she would have it in a husband. He doesn't love her. She thought she would have it if she gave him children. And she did. And she still doesn't have the love that her heart is after. And you see that even in how she names her, her children. And, and, and what the writer here tells us about it. But I think as we look at the end of the, the passage that we read today, we see that God was working in her life, moving her towards himself. Right? He was moving her towards himself. We see him working even through her, her difficulty and her struggle and her, her significant pain. It was deep down in her soul. He was moving her to worship. It says that she conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Well, what affliction? She's having babies and Rachel isn't. What's the affliction? Anybody? She feels unloved. She, she put her eggs in that basket. If I have babies, I'll, I'll be able to, to have the love of my husband. He is my husband after all. Now the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. My husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore another son. Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. Even God knows. It must be obvious to everyone around. She is not the favored one in their home. Because even the Lord knows, and he's heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And what does Simeon mean? Heard. God's heard. He knows. Then she conceived again and bore another son. This time my husband will be attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. And everything that she has not been able to do, I have done. He will have to come and cling to me. He will have to wrap those arms around me this time. I've given him three. Therefore she called him Levi. And what does Levi mean? Attached. He'll be attached to me. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she called his name Judah. And she stopped bearing sons. What does Judah mean? Praise. Praise. I will praise the Lord. Who was the one that had given her all these children? The Lord had. And certainly Jacob had some responsibility in it. But she had... One writer said she's the epitome of traditional family values. She's the epitome of being someone who knew her station in life and she did it. She did what was right and what was expected of her by society, but also from her family. 
from her religious connections. She was supposed to, to bear children. It was a symbol of God's love and affection for his people that he would continue the name of the family leader. Jacob's name is continuing through his wife, Leah. It's not through Rachel, at least up to this point, right? She is doing everything that was required of her and expected of her, and yet she is still the loveless wife, the loveless daughter of Laban. It says in verse 33 that God heard her prayers. She must have been crying out to him because nobody else is listening. Nobody else is even caring, it seems. But he is listening to her. And it says after all of this, after all of these changes and all of these babies and living with her sister still, it seems, for the rest of her life and having to live in her shadows, what does she resolve at the end? Now I'm going to praise the Lord. And it's interesting here that she uses, in my Bible, it's all caps. Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. And when you see that in the Bible, that is the covenant-keeping name of God. Uh, The one who said to Jacob in chapter 28, I will bless you and your seed. This was not the God who stood at the top of the ladder according to the world religions and what many people thought. If you work hard and do your best and try your best to please God, he will let you come up the rungs of the ladder and you'll make it into heaven. This is the God who says, I will be the one to come down the ladder ladder, and I'll bring you up. You don't have to do it on your own. She knew this name of God. That's significant. That this woman in in deep pain and darkness and difficulty and struggle knew the covenant-keeping name of God and she says, now I will praise him. I will praise him. And at the end of the book of Genesis, we have the really the, the answer to, to her prayers and really beyond. It's certainly not an answer to her prayer like a reward. She had served the Lord. She had finally discovered what the true meaning of life was, that searching for significance with her heart was not to be found in men or in babies or, as we said, traditional family values and doing your role. And it, it's certainly not in doing your best to serve the Lord. The the search for significance is being found in knowing that God is the one who comes after his children. He's the one who makes a way for you to get into heaven. He doesn't give you the ladder to climb. He walks down it for you. Isn't that interesting? The way that we think about how life is. The, The struggles that we have, the things that we go through, God is giving us something to go do. We're to go work and try hard and hopefully he will reward us and put another rung on the ladder for us that we could keep climbing up to heaven. But what she found was every step that she tried to take up that ladder was another... She might take one up, but then she'd fall down three more. She was never able to make it up that ladder. She and Jacob, neither one. Who was it who had ordered all of these things in her life? Certainly it wasn't her dad. Right? He basically threw her, threw her to the first person that seemed like a decent guy. Even though we know Jacob wasn't really a decent guy. He was searching just the way she was. He was running away from his past. He wasn't trying to run to the Lord. He was running away from it. Find, find love, find an identity, find a new place. Because I've made a wreck of everything at home. She resolves to praise the Lord though. She says, I will praise him. And what's the answer? We were talking about this just a second ago. What was the answer around the end of the book of Genesis? What house is 
is she the mother of? Yes. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus himself, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah, her last son, I will praise the Lord. So what does that say to you about God's love for this woman? What we read in Genesis 29, 31. The Lord saw that she was unloved and he loved her. This woman who we don't know what her her um, unattractiveness was, something with her eyes. This woman who nobody would have chosen, who everyone wanted to get rid of. This is the one that God chose to be the mother of Judah, of the house of David, who we read in the genealogy of Jesus is the house that he came from. So what does that say about how God chooses to work? Is there, are there, is there a lesson that we can learn from that? Maybe there are several. But are there any lessons we can learn from that? God doesn't use the lovely. He doesn't use the, the work hard people. Right? It seems, it seems that's, that's the way he chose to do it. He chose to do it that way very specifically. It wasn't just because that was his plan. That was his plan for Leah. That she would worship him. That she would know the God of Israel. The one who made the covenant promises. And she would be the mother. Who he would ultimately see is in the line of the Lord Jesus. And not Rachel. Not the lovely one. Not the beautiful one, the one that everybody knew and and looked after. The one that Jacob was willing to work for seven years to buy. Maybe that's a little bit um, off-putting to us, right? Well, this is is not a highlight in the story of the Old Testament. Why would you choose to do this one? This man selling his daughter, this man thinks he believes he can buy a wife. This sounds horrible. But I think this teaches us several things about how God works in people's lives significantly. Because God was at work in this, even though she went through great trial and struggle. That those who belong to the Lord are those who were held by his very strong grip. That even though life may seem to be very difficult and hard, he's with them right in the midst of it. Right in the midst of everyday things. Right in the midst of taking care of those babies, all of them. You know, she thought, well, this first one maybe didn't do it. It didn't charm his eyes. It didn't win his heart. So I'll have another and another and another. I'll just keep doing the thing that I believe I'm supposed to do. The other thing that I think we see out of this that hopefully we see clearly, maybe we, we don't always see it in our own life, that God's choice to make his own glory known is about his own glory and not about our ability or our beauty. God chooses to do that through us, not because of something in us. I listened to something last night. Uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson was asked about how to read your Bible. And uh, he talked to a young man. He was a, At this time, Dr. Ferguson was a young minister. And the young man was telling him he was having uh, amazing quiet times on his own with the Lord. He was reading the book of Ephesians. And so he asked him uh, a question, Dr. Ferguson did. And this was when Dr. Ferguson was a young minister. He said, well, tell me a little bit about it. Um, if you were to write down, if you were a journaling person, if you were to write down every day just something about what you're learning, if after six months, let's say you're done reading the book of Ephesians, 
what would it be that you would write out? Would it be some, and he gave him two options, would it be about your experience or your understanding of how that applies to your life? Or would it be a summary of of Paul's great teaching in the book of Ephesians? And the man didn't hesitate. He said, definitely it would be number one. Definitely it would be number one. I would write somehow about my experience and understanding of how this applies to my life. And certainly we want to know how the scriptures apply to our life. But isn't it interesting, though, that he didn't say the other? It wasn't significant for him to read the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible and getting to know it and see how God is writing a story and what God is doing to know the truth about who God is. And if, if God is the ultimate thing, we say in our catechism, and we'll speak about this later this morning in our service, we say in our catechism, what is the chief end of man? We teach our children to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But if our attempt at getting to the Bible is not, our first attempt anyway, is not to see the glory of God and to know who he is, then no wonder we're so wrapped up in ourselves. Right? We don't even go to the Bible for God. At least ultimately first. We're going to find some answer about who we are. Or to, to give an answer of what's going on inside of us. So when you open your Bible, are you saying, Lord, please show me yourself. Or, or Lord, please give me an answer to something that I'm struggling with today. And he does do that. He does show you something about yourself that day. He absolutely does. But in our, in our search in the scriptures... We're searching to see who he is as he revealed himself to us in the word. I think there's a difference there. Any, any thoughts or comments or questions about that? Um, disagreements even. In our search of the scriptures, are we, are we reading them and studying them for God's glory alone? Is that our, our own personal ultimate goal? Is that why we read the Bible every day? And maybe, maybe that's why sometimes when we're in a moment of personal panic, we run to the scriptures and hope that we'll find an answer. And I certainly don't want anybody to feel guilty if you don't have a daily habit of reading the Bible or if you say, well, that's what I do. I've done that. I think everybody can say they've done that, right? Everybody's run to the Bible. Lord, give me an answer. I'm, please, I'm struggling. I am, I'm crippled under this. Third thing I think that we, we learn from the life of Leah is that our insecurities about who we are and who God has made us to be in His sovereignty and in His providence, our insecurities may be God's whisper to stop our search for worth in others. Other things, other people, relationships, our insecurities about who we are are God's whisper to stop our search for worth in other things or other people. Because it was exactly those, those things that God chose to work in. He chose to work in her in a different way than he did Rachel. And it was ultimately God's choice, right? He could have done that through whomever he would have liked. So the things about you that maybe you want to hide from others or hide from others being able to see so obviously or something about you that you wish wasn't true about who you are so you try to compensate it for, for it by doing something else. Maybe you just really don't feel secure in who you are so your way of of feeling better or feeling secure is to try to get other people to like you by being always agreeable. Always do everything anybody asks for you. Is anybody in here a people pleaser beside me? None? Yeah. Isn't that a way that we... Well, I can I can be the, a yes. I don't have to be a stick in the mud. I don't have to be a no to people's questions. Right? 
It's easy to say yes. But eventually you, you have to look in the mirror and say, am I being true to myself and who, who God made me to be? Am I denying God's work in my life because I can't accept who I am? Who He made me to be? Am I still searching for worth somewhere else? Moving on from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Since that didn't do it. I think that's a lot of a struggle there, likely, if we're honest. We don't want to look in the mirror. Isn't that what the Bible says about looking at the mirror and going away quickly and forgetting what he was like? Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time there. I might not like what I see. Or I might be reminded of what I know is there that hasn't gone away with all of my trying. It's still not any different. With all of my work, with all of my struggle, with everything I've tried to pile on, that person is still there. Like what you might do with with makeup. It's still there underneath all of it. It hasn't gone. Who you are is still there. It doesn't go away. Lastly, I think one of the last things, that, and there are probably many others, what does the life of Leah teach us about following Jesus? The last thing I would say is that the highest goal for a believer is a life well lived in worship of the king. Unfortunately for Leah, she learned this later in life. I don't know how many years were between when she had um, her first baby and when she had Judah. But I imagine there were some years and some life experience that went into this. She learned how to basically expect disappointment. She learned to have zero expectations of anybody. At least the only expectation she knew she could have is to be picked over, disappointed, and not depend on anyone for anything because nobody ever comes through. Now, maybe that's the cynical side of me, but I believe that she probably went through that a little bit, at least. Maybe that wasn't the disposition of her heart that just won her to Jesus, but it was part of her, her life. She learned, I can't depend on anyone. I don't think she turned inward, though, at least according to what this says. I don't believe she turned inward and said, well, I'll just depend on me. I'll just take care of my own. I'll get what I need out of life and what I need out of these people. They're obviously doing it to me. No, I I believe as she went to the Lord with the hurts of her heart, with the difficulties of her life and how disenfranchised she must have been with everything. I mean, this is a daughter of Israel. And this is how she's been treated. She's nothing more than something to offload or someone to give children to keep Jacob's line moving and living. And she says, certainly there has to be more in life than this for a daughter of Israel. And she, through the pain, through her difficulty, through feeling alone in her own home with all these babies in her arms and her husband over there with Rachel, she learned to look to the Lord. And if Leah can look to the Lord in all of that, then certainly you and I can, and He is there for us in the midst of whatever we are struggling under. Right? He's there. The same God is there. He is not gone. He has not forsaken His people. He hasn't left them alone. That she learned that the highest goal for my life is I will praise the Lord. It's why I exist. It's why He put me here in this family. I think we could say, well, yeah, we certainly agree with that. That makes sense. But that's a pretty high standard. And that's pretty difficult to say that's what I'm going to do with all of my life. 
And I think Leah would agree with you. I think she would say, yes, I agree. And the only way you do that is by God's grace. And every day you put one foot in front of the other and resolve that day, I will serve the Lord. I'll love these children. I'll love Jacob. Even if he doesn't love me, I'll serve him well. I'll honor the Lord. We have a few moments left. Any, any thoughts or comments about that? The heart search for significance. One of the writers, maybe a question, and we can talk about this as we end. One of the writers said, as we think about this story, as we think about what they were seeking after, Jacob looking for love, looking for a new home, for a new family, a place that he could maybe remake himself out of, outside of his own um, past and sins and everything that he did to his family. And Leah, in search of love and, and hoping to win the affection of her husband by earning it or by doing things to get it. Those were the things that had gripped their hearts. Maybe a question to ask is, what is it that you would have to set your affections off of in order to pick up a true affection for the Lord Jesus? What is it that you are seeking after that in order to love the Lord as God's word says we should, as his people, what would you have to lay down? What would you have to give up? And are you willing to do that? Many times we may know the answer to some of our questions, and we may even hear it from other people, but we're not willing to to let that happen. I can't let that go. It defines who I am. Or I want it. Just just simple, plain, um, run-of-the-mill idolatry. I just want it. I want that more than Jesus. And I readily admit it. I confess I want this in life more than I want to glorify Him. Maybe where some of us are. I think openly and honestly the answer to that is repentance before the Lord. I want this more than you. Right? And isn't that what church is supposed to be? Coming before the Lord in faith and repentance. Laying down our true confession to Him. And not simply just coming in and playing the game and doing doing the work of church. Right? Right? Coming to church is a, a, about an, an experience with the Lord, seeing Him. Isaiah said when he came in the temple, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. That day it wasn't Sunday go to meeting. So, any any thoughts or, or questions? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Focus back on me. Mm-hmm. Focus back on me. Be sure you focus. 
So Pam was saying that this is something in maturity for sanctification. It's for all believers. Um, and, and maybe to say it a different way, Pam, immaturity is seeing every circumstance as uh, trying to find a reason what God is doing in every circumstance in your life. Why did, he, why did he bring this today? Or why am I reading this in the Bible today? This must speak to exactly what I'm going through. Or it must mean this or that. But just seeing that every, every day he, he's opening his word for us that we would see him and know him. And, and maybe even in our, in our postmodern thinking, not trying to find something about ourselves in it that would give an answer to us, but that we would step outside of that altogether and say, this is who God is. And he and is at work. I think that's the major thing. Yeah. He is definitely Yeah. Maybe it's safe to say, this might be a little too harsh but or too strong, but maybe it's safe to say that rather than seeing life through the lens of Scripture, who God is and what His attributes are and His character and His goodness and His righteousness and holiness, rather we see life through the lens of our own identity, who, who we are hoping to shape ourselves to be. So all of this is in some way, if, if, I'm, if this is right and not too harsh, that I'm seeing all of this and how it impacts me and how it affects me and what I think about me. And even what you say and do is somehow um, has something to say about who I am. And our, our pastor in Lynchburg used to say, um, in, in a funny way, that this was kind of how people talk about themselves. They would be in a conversation with someone else and maybe they've been the one speaking for a good while and they say, well, that's enough about me. What do you think about me? You know that I'm a little bit tired of talking about myself, but maybe you might not be. Um, we're just so absorbed with where we are, we need that constant affirmation. But isn't that kind of like an endless stream, constant need to to hear about and affirm and know and everything else? That if if you are building your own identity, um, you have to do that. I mentioned last week Carl Truman's book. The rise and triumph of the modern self. That if you are building your own identity, if every one of us has to do that, then we are all seeking to do that all the time. If identity is not found in some something else, in someone else, in God who created us and made us, and if if it's true, what what I was saying here about Leah and Jacob, that it, it's true that they were not meant to ever have to climb the ladder to earn God's affection. But actually, what's true about them is true about us. That not only did God come down the ladder for Jacob in that vision, but it's true that he came down the ladder for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's the one who defines who we are. That's how you know about your identity. Not through the subjective things, everyday life. The good and the bad and the ugly and how we treat one another and talk to one another and what other people say and what they think or how much money I make or how much you make. What I have or don't have. That those things don't truly define us, but who God says we are as his people. That's what defines us. That's our identity. 
And I think that's my connection, if you will. Because it's I know it probably seems like a, a bit of a 180 from what we were studying the last two weeks to going to a very specific um, study on Jacob and Rachel and Leah. But I think that this is exactly where many of us are. We are searching for who we are in what we're living in every day. We need God. We need help. But we don't run to God to define that for us. We try to do it ourselves and see how we can build a life out of what's happening around us, even though we're not in control. And let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this time this morning to be in your word. I thank you that uh, we could be gathered as your people, the church. And as we prepare for worship in just a few moments, Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Help us, Lord, in in the day-to-day life that we live. Uh, Many of us have routine lives, things that we do every day, and it's easy to see that's who we are. And yet your word says that we are who we are because of who you are and what you have done in the world. That that should be first in our endeavors and what we're seeking for is learning who you are and what you have done. And then secondly, learning about how we fit into that. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to fall on our face before you and confess that there are idols that we are after, that our hearts want, and that we will give all of our energy to that and then come to you with leftovers. Lord, I pray that you would help us to order our disordered minds and our disordered lives and affections. Thank you that the Lord Jesus has come, that he has lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, and he died for us to pay for our penalty for sins. And that he did take all of the wrath of God for the children of God. That we can now stand before you not being condemned, but loved and affirmed as beloved sons and daughters of the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.